The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. It's nice to see so many people here tonight. Very soon we'll have our new building, and it won't be so crowded, maybe as early as December, maybe even a little bit earlier, who knows. But for sure by the end of the year we'll be at our new building, unless there's some unforeseen problem, (laughs) which I guess is possible. (laughs) So I've been giving, uh, just recently I started a series of talks on samadhi, Samadhi is the Pali word for the unification of mind or non-distraction. And in particular, I'm talking about what that might look like in our daily lives. So normally when we think about samadhi practice, we think about sitting meditation and absorbing into the experience of the breath or absorbing into the ordinary experience of the body sitting, absorbing into hearing or maybe mantra practice, if people do that. But, of course, this is a skill that makes sense always. It's always useful to be fully in the present moment with whatever we're doing. And last week I talked about how samadhi is really the essence of competence. When we have a non-distracted mind, the mind... our response to life, the kind of choices we make, the response is then based on that non-distracted, clear, relaxed attention. And so we have a really good response to the moment. And in the same way, or in the opposite way, if we were distracted, then the distraction is causing us to misperceive what's going on because we're distracted. We're not seeing clearly. And so our response to the moment, what we say to the person, what we do next, what we don't do, it's going to be based on that distraction or that misperception, and so our lives won't work as well. And like anything, um, the basic path to improvement, to getting more skillful, is to train. We have to actually train ourselves to be fully present, not just when we're doing our sitting meditation, but all day long. First, we need to understand what we're training in, because a lot of the times we know something's off in our lives, for example, and so we just start training ourselves. But we don't bother to figure out what's off or how it's off. So our training regimen doesn't tend to make too much sense. It's like, do something. But often what we do is just reinforcing the problem. So we want to first understand what's the problem, like really get the problem of distraction, of a scattered, dispersed, confused, misperceiving mind. So when we're not clear, this is what the Buddha would call ignorance, when we're not seeing things clearly, or when we're not present with this relaxed, non-reactive, and clear mind. It's really both of those qualities of the mind has to be uh, relaxed or feeling safe or trusting or accepting the experience. And there also has to be 
this maybe we could say this fire in the mind too so it's not just because if we're just relaxed then it's like being sleepy well when we're sleepy or dull doesn't you know we're not really going to have necessarily an appropriate response to the moment because we're not really there completely so we want the relaxation or the non-reactivity but we also need that fire, that interest in wanting to know or wanting to understand how it is, what's going on, what's arising. We need both. And I know it seems contradictory, this interest or alertness and relaxation or ease. Now, this is why we practice. It's not actually, they're not actually contradictory. We can be both very relaxed and very bright, very clear, very interested at the same time. We're just not trained, the mind isn't trained to be that way. <clears throat> so last week, uh, in the previous weeks, I was talking about right attitude and practice, and I think it's appropriate to, just as a reflection theme for a couple of weeks, to see a patient mind as just a way of referring to the proper attitude for life and for meditation practice. So we can just let patience be sort of a word that holds a lot of wholesome qualities. And when we use the word patience, it, in a way it highlights in a particular way, it highlights what we mean by a wholesome mind or a wholesome attitude. And it's important to understand that patience is as much about um, what we let go of, like abandoning uh, impatience, than it is about, as I mentioned in our sit tonight, it's not so much about taking a stance, okay, I'm going to be patient, which has kind of a rigid feeling to it. Okay, I'm going to be patient. Like I'm going to grit and bear with the unpleasantness or with the tension or with the whatever. But it's more like discerning the impatience, discerning the restlessness, discerning, discerning all the expectations or agendas that arise, impulses that arise in the mind. And it's like this wisdom of exhaustion, like, I don't need to go there. I don't need to pick that up. Don't. It's like the mind understands there's this option of resting with things. And so all of the other impulses, which are more about doing and reacting, we see, I don't need to do that. don't have to do that now. I've got this other option, which is just being, being with what's happening allowing things to take their natural course, allowing things to unfold as they do. And even in the in being very patient, it's not it's not appropriate to think of it as a passive thing. It's a it's like a hyper energetic thing to be patient. Because we have to be hyper-energetically recognizing all the impulses to do and to react 
and, and to recognize that as don't need to do that don't have to go there so this is a lot of work so we don't want to think about patience as just you know giving up or helplessness and it would be nice tonight and maybe for a couple more weeks uh, to just explore places in our lives where for whatever reason we're inspired to be a little bit more patient and just even before we get to that life situation like at work or with a particular person or in a particular situation in your life like traffic or shopping where you are for whatever reason inspired to be patient you can just notice what gets in the way even using your imagination like what that would look like or what might get in the way of being patient so you know mostly we use our imagination in ways that aren't so useful you know fantasizing about something or revisiting old wounds oh. <laughs> but we can we can use our imagination in skillful ways to imagine like how patience might look in this situation even in something that already happened so we can go back instead of just regurgitating what happened we could reflect back well what would have what would have more patient response what might that have looked like what would the results of that might have been? What might have been the results of being more patient in that situation? How would that have looked? How would, how would have things unfolded if I was relating with patience instead of whatever I was relating with? So just to tease out or to kind of unpack what you might recognize as patience. So patience has this quality of courageousness or a steadfastness, like this this ability to be with what's difficult. And part of that power of uh, patience to be with what's difficult is, uh, like I was saying, we get maybe because we're exhausted, but we get that reacting doesn't work. So we might feel the impulse to react, the impulse to be impatient. But there's some wisdom that's saying, this isn't, doesn't do any good. This isn't the right way. So even though patience may not, we may not have like a clear idea where patience leads to or why it's so skillful, but we might have a very clear, powerful resolve that reacting doesn't work. That may be the sum total of our wisdom. That's, you know, speaking out with whatever I'm inclined to speak out with or acting out, that's not going to help. So I'm, jo- I'm just going to rest in this patient, clear awareness. So I'm aware of my impulse to act out or to speak out but I'm going to rest. And we don't know where that leads, but we may have a very clear sense that speaking out or acting out isn't going to help. And that's real wisdom. So not knowing what to do is knowing something. You can know very clearly that we don't know what to do. In other words, that all the impulses we have, all the different impulses we have to react to the situation don't make sense so we can be very clear about that 
Without knowing what to do, we can be clear about knowing what not to do. And so sometimes patience has that flavor. And it's nice to put a positive spin on it, you know, to really... I, I shouldn't even have said that, because it's not... I'm, we're not faking it. It is really wholesome. It's a beautiful force in the mind when we're patient that way, like when we're willing to rest and not knowing rather than to act in a way that we have a, some clear clarity that it isn't good, isn't useful. And just to feel that strength, it's a kind of strength in the mind or in the heart. So suppression isn't always a negative thing. Suppression can be really useful. Refraining ourselves from doing things can be very wholesome. I mean, just think about our life. If we hadn't refrained from every impulse we had, <laughs> we'd either all be in jail or dead. <laughs> but we have refrained, you know, at times from doing things where we had an impulse. And we can recognize this as, a, as a, one of the flavors of patience, this power to refrain, to stay put, to just rest and not knowing, but knowing that doing that isn't what I want to do, isn't going to lead to anything good, or at least that we're suspicious that it may not be good. This really comes out of this uh, um, wisdom that the Buddha highly praised. <clears throat> the Pali words are hiri otapa, wholesome concern or wholesome fear and wholesome regret. Hiri, I think, is the regret, and otapa, I believe, is the fear. So regret means that in remembering what we've done in the past, the mistakes we made in the past, we can either sort of whip ourselves with guilt, which is not very wholesome. But we could also remember the mistakes that we've done in the past and the residual pain that's alive in us now, here in the present moment, can be transformed into a kind of wisdom, like our old wounds actually can be our wisdom. Like, don't go there. I care about this life. Don't go there. So that regret of those mistakes and the fear of doing them again, this, what the Buddha calls hiri otapa, it's like a, a protection. It's the ultimate protection. You know, the wisdom we've gained from living our, the, you know, living our life. And that's alive in us. And that's that force, the respect we have from what we've learned not just even in our own lives, but we observe others. And we get, you know, when we see a good friend suffering, we that, that sort of ignites that wisdom. It's like, don't go there, don't do that, don't make that mistake. Right? So this, is, uh, this isn't something to fear. It's like there's something alive in the heart that uh, we can sort of tune into instead of feeling lost in the world like I don't know I don't have a clue we actually have quite a bit of clue but a lot of the problem is we don't need we don't know where to look for our direction you know we we often 
because we have this belief we don't know, we don't have a clue, so then we look for guidance out there. <laughs> and that, they definitely don't have a clue. You know, the culture at large doesn't have a clue about how we should live our lives. I mean, because the culture at large is really driven by the economy. I mean, it's really about making money. And so the advice we get, whether it's from the media or from, you know, other forces in our culture, it's, it's not, it's rarely, the rarely voices of wisdom, deep wisdom. Although they're often masquerading as voices of wisdom. So this is, so much in Buddhism is this uh, emphasis on self-reliance. <clears throat> and it's, we don't get the clear answers like a politician might give us or a, somebody trying to sell us something might give us. It's not necessarily a clear answer, but it's very trustworthy and we can learn to kind of read the heart in this way, this hiri otapa, the force of regret, wholesome regret and wholesome fear. It's, it's really just a respect, a respect that it is possible to create hell for ourselves and others. I mean, this should be the most obvious thing in the world, but, you know, we don't live that way. We don't live as if what we do, what we think, what we say matters too much. I mean, sometimes we do. Maybe sometimes we're actually more too far to that end. But we definitely need some of that um, that force of, of respecting that it's possible to make messes and that some of these messes take a long time to resolve. I mean, think about some of the painful interactions we've had with people over the years and how sometimes it's de decades, if ever, that uh, pain gets resolved. And, you know, it, it might have not seemed like a big deal as we were falling into the interaction. But, you know, if we had, if Hiri Otapa was sort of alive and well in us, we might have had little mindfulness spells going off in our, in our sweetheart saying, this looks dangerous. <laughs> Maybe I should step back. Maybe I should say, I can't really be here now. Maybe we should talk about this later. You know, or whatever, some way to avoid going down paths that this, this sort of wisdom, this intuition might have been able to say, this isn't the way, this isn't good. Another quality of, another way of sort of understanding patience or having a, a way to access it is a kind of compassion. Just like we know when someone's being really patient with us, like we're really hyped and a little bit, you know, spun out. And sometimes our friend or some family member, you know, even though we're a little bit out, out there, outrageous, they can be really patient, you know, and not just sort of close the door of their heart, but just sort of hang in there with us, knowing that, you know, we'll calm down. We'll settle down, get back on earth without, you know, feeling like they have to sort of tap us down. Or people who can be there with our pain when we're in a lot of pain and not be afraid of our pain. So we know how good it feels to be patient. 
when someone rather when someone's being patient for us or with us. And so this is of course we can be that same way toward ourselves. We can be really patient with our minds, with the uh, greediness in the mind, with the aversion or irritation in the mind, with the judgment and comparing and the shame, you know, all the different habit energies that we might have, afflictive habit energies, we can learn to be really patient with it. To understand it's impermanent, it isn't defining me completely, you know, so when my mind is acting in a very despicable way, I don't have to fall into that trap of thinking, this is who I am. Because if I think this is who I am, I'm not going to be patient with it. I can't stand being that, that being who I am, so I'll try to destroy it. And of course, that's not being patient. So patient, there's this wisdom that that we can accept when things are really difficult and challenging because we understand that on their own, things will change. So patience is this, has includes this wisdom of impermanence, and this allows us to be intimate, to be really loving. And the other part that allows us to be loving is that we understand it isn't personal. So when things are really messy, or when there's a lot of pain in the body, or a lot of pain in the mind or heart, if, it, if we imagine that we're responsible then we won't be patient, we'll be reactive, we'll be controlling, we'll be judgmental, or hate ourselves. Like, why am I doing this? But if we understand that it's conditional, that whatever it is that's messy in our heart or mind right now, that this has arisen lawfully, it couldn't be other than it is. Given the way it is, given the causes and conditions, I can't help but be, you know, shamefully needy right now. So instead of hating myself for being needy, I can, with a patient, wise mind, I can see that this neediness that I'm feeling can't be other than it is right now. It's not so much that I'm needy, but there's neediness, and it's like this. And given all of this that's come before, it has to be this way. couldn't be other than this way. And understanding when it isn't when these supporting conditions aren't there, this neediness won't be there. So we're kind of taking the self out of the picture, and it allows us to be more patient. Like, you might feel that the country's being run by a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. And, uh... So this is maybe an interesting place to sort of reflect on what patience might look like. I mean, what are, are we patient in the sense of just allowing people to do what they do? You know, continue to lead the country in the direction that maybe we think is in a good direction? But part of, part of patience... See, patience never implies being patient for a long time. Like anything in the Buddhist tradition... It's only about this moment. It's only about being patient in this moment. And it supports a deepening understanding. So if we think the country's going to hell, may the first response may to be just might be to be patient with that perception that the country's going to hell. Oh, 
seeing, having the uh, understanding, having the perception that the country's going to hell is like this. And so we were patient with that. And see, that's what allows that appropriate response. And this is how we connect it with what I, this general theme is for the next several weeks, which is how to practice samadhi, non-distraction in daily life. For to be really intimate, to be really present, to connect with the way it is in daily life, we have to be patient. Because patience really is the opposite of reactivity. We have to understand with wisdom that well, this is how it is. It does appear that the country is going to hell, let's say, to us. So we relax with that. We express patience in this moment. And then we see what our response comes out of that patient acceptance, this patient seeing that it's like this. So it's not saying we're not, we're not, that's why it's not a stance. We don't want to turn patience into a stance. Because then it becomes rigid. And maybe it becomes our way of avoiding action. You know, we're f- afraid of acting. We're afraid of acting because we're afraid we're going to get hurt. Or we're afraid of acting because we don't think we know what we should do. So we'll just justify non-action, thinking that somehow non-action is not an action. But it's, of course, just as much of an action as any other action. So we don't want it to be a stance, but we do want that moment of patience. And then if we respond after that moment of patience, then in a way, in the same way really, we're patient with that response, even if it's a quite dramatic response. We're patient knowing that, well, this is how it is now. Because sometimes, you know, when we start to speak up, when we start to act, we we can get impulsive, right? We go, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. You know, and we start to second-guess ourselves. So sometimes when we take that forward step, we have to be patient. No, you know what? I've committed to doing this. I'm in the process of doing this. This moment is about doing this. And then after I do this, then there will be a moment to sort of take a look at what's to be done next. So patience really works when in action or in, in what we would call inaction, sort of in dramatic movements and less dramatic movements. Patience is always a wholesome thing. Because it's that steadiness, it's that steadfastness. So whether we're in sitting practice, you know, which is one of the things we do in daily life, hopefully, So then that steadfastness manifests as, okay, I've committed to sitting for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes. I have already assessed the situation of my life and determined that I do, in fact, have 40 minutes to sit. So despite how many thoughts I might have that I have something now more important to do, (laughs) I can practice being steadfast. Or... We get married or decide to get involved in an intimate relationship, you know, and we make a commitment to another person. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's all these thoughts about, well, maybe, (laughs) or my, and then we can, this is another place to manifest patience, like, no, this is a, in this moment, this commitment is alive. I made this commitment. 
So here, patience is a, a steadfastness with the commitment, whether it's a commitment to sit, a commitment to be in a relationship, a commitment to do something about a problem in the world, a commitment to let go of the world and take care of our kids. This is what my life is about now. This is my world, you know, or acting locally in this way or acting globally in another way. Because to not do that, to not sort of be steadfast and patient with our resolves, with our commitments, is to be dispersed, right? That's where the energy of the mind, the energy of the heart becomes more and more scattered and dispersed. And there's suffering and ineffectiveness, incompetence. I remember reading a while back um, this wonderful quote from Thomas Merton. Some of you know he's a, he was a Catholic uh, monk back in the 60s. He died relatively young, wrote a lot, and was very interested in mystical practice and contemplative practice. He was a monk at uh, Gethsemane Abbey, in, I think in Kentucky, and uh, he had this wonderful line or sentence where he talked about how to give yourself over to too many commitments is a kind of violence in the mind. And it is. I, I really see this. You know, when, when we let the mind get pulled in too many directions, it's like uh, we can't, the mind, the heart, the body can't possibly commit, can't can't possibly follow through. So in a way, all we're doing is torturing ourselves. We're saying, I, I want to be in this committed relationship, but I'm also very committed to these fantasies about another person. Or I'm committed to this political issue and that and that, and I also have three kids. And, uh, and, and there is this sort of war going on in the mind. And instead of actually doing something well, we're just torturing ourselves. We're feeling regret, except this isn't the wholesome kind of regret. This is like guilt. Oh, I wanted to do I told myself I was going to commit to sit to these people. I would, or my son is there, and I forgot his birthday. And So this is why in, in, in so many um, spiritual traditions there's such an emphasis on, on simplicity because it supports this uh, steadfastness, like really making a commitment and following through. Not so much telling us what commitment to make, but just make a commitment and be steadfast with it, to be really patient, to take things from the beginning to the end, let things have their natural conclusion. But that doesn't mean we stick with something when it's not working. So, you know, there's got to be some art to how we decide what is our commitment. But part of that is knowing how to make skillful resolves. Those of you who've been here for a couple of weeks now, I, a few weeks ago, I, I read a quote from Ajahn Tomato where he says, don't make superhuman resolves when you're not Superman <laughs> or not a super person, Right? So we need to make skillful results, like I'm going to sit for 40 minutes, you know, or I'm going to sit for 20 minutes. That's a skillful result. That's actually something we can follow through with. I'm going to go to this meeting. You know, that's something we can follow through with. 
I'm going to make my kids my first priority and let go of everything else. You know, or I'm going to, this semester, I'm going to really devote myself to my job. I really got to give myself to my job. Everything else is second to that. Because if I, if this job falls apart, you know, then I'm going to feel insecure. And if I'm feeling insecure about my livelihood, then I'm not going to be a good partner. I'm not going to be a good citizen. I'm not going to be good for anybody. So I'm really going to try to make my job work better this fall or this season. And if it doesn't work, well, then maybe come winter, I'll think about a new job or think about a new career. So just to find ways to do that practically in our lives and you'll see like how effective it is and you see how much it's related to samadhi being doing one thing at a time so when we're having an interaction with someone having a meal with someone we're not thinking about who we'd like to be with we realize i've, I've made a commitment to be with this person and this interaction is going to last you know somewhere between one and three hours and for that period of time i'm really going to be here and of course my mind is going to wander but as soon as I notice that it's wandered, I'm going to remember this commitment, this steadfastness, being patient. And another quality of, of love that you find with patients, it's like a parent with their children, you know, or a pet owner with, its, uh, with his or her dog. <clears throat> and training, you know, when we train a child to use the toilet or we train a dog to use the newspaper or whatever to poop outside you know we don't it doesn't help to yell at the dog and it's the same in terms of training and patience it doesn't help to yell we just become neurotic if we kind of judge ourselves harshly or beat ourselves up so it's more like uh, Jack Hornfield describes, you know, you pick the puppy up and you put it down on the newspaper and the puppy goes away and you pick it up and you put it on the newspaper. I've never trained a dog, so I don't know if this is actually true. But I like that image, you know, like you would never, I mean, puppies are designed to be loved. I mean, they just look, I think actually they, psychologists have done studies about the shape of puppies and other babies' faces, not, not just, basically all mammals and maybe other species too, non-mammal species, but all mammals, you know, the infants of all mammals, when we see that, there is a, a physiological, psychological response of, oh. And so <laughs> the idea is then, you know, we're patient. We're not going to beat the puppy up. It doesn't occur to us to slap the puppy because it's wandering away. It's not using the newspaper. We just chase it down, and we bring it back, and we put it down again. And this is the appropriate attitude with developing patience. You know, I mean, it sounds so absurd when we say, like, okay, I'm going to practice patience by getting impatient with being impatient. You know, it doesn't make sense if we say it out loud. And yet, think about how many times we've been impatient about being impatient. You know, it's like we get irritated about being irritated. We get needy about being needy. I don't want to be needy anymore. You know? But that's just another need. So patience is really 
putting an end to that tendency in the mind to um, react to unskillful reactions with an unskillful reaction. It's like breaking that cycle. And so it's a different way of relating. It requires wisdom. You know, it requires that we learn from our mistakes, or from our lives. So maybe I'll leave it here, and we'll probably take a few more weeks to talk about patience. But we have a little bit more than 15 minutes tonight for people to share. I would hope, I would assume rather, that there's a lot of wisdom in the room from your own lives, your own experiences with patience and impatience. Of course, you can help us learn by sharing both your successes and failures in this area. And of course, any questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.